as you know, as a church, we've been going through the book of Revelation since the beginning of the year, and we've seen, we've seen Jesus revealed, right? Every single week, we see a new revelation of who Jesus is and to do, and, and two things have stood out, two themes throughout the book. First, we've seen that Jesus is incredibly and inexplicably glorious, right? John sees these visions of Jesus, and it's like, wow, he is glorious. And then we also see that sin is exceptionally destructive, right? We've also read throughout the book, this is what sin does. This is what sin produces and what sin results in, and it's destruction. And so every week, it, we've, we've been left with a decision to make. And the decision is, like, are we going to pursue and love and trust this glorious King Jesus, or are we going to pursue love and trust the world? And the, the deceitfulness of the world, one, results in life forever with Jesus. One, results in eternity apart from him. And so tonight on this Good Friday, as we're considering Jesus' death, as we're considering the price that he paid for our sin, we're also going to do it in the light of what John sees in Revelation chapter 16. And we're going to look specifically at two different cups, two different phrases, and two different earthquakes. And as we look at these things, we're going to see the reason that Jesus had to die. Why did Jesus have to die? And then, why does Jesus' death make it possible for us to have life? Why did Jesus have to die? Why does Jesus' death give us life? So, listen to Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 17. It says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were found, and great about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on the people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your word, that your word um, is living and, and active and that you are continually speaking to us through it. And we ask you tonight, God, open our eyes yet again to your truth. Jesus, I pray that you would help us see the, the weight and, and the, the penalty and the, the sin that God, that we've committed against you and that we deserve punishment for, but also, Jesus, would you help us see the beauty of the fact that you took that punishment upon yourself so that we never have to sit under your wrath. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as I was thinking about like a cup, a phrase, and an earthquake, I thought, have there been a time that I've experienced all three of those together? And shockingly, the answer is yes. It was in uh, Guatemala in the year 2017. Um, it stood out to me because I was, I was preaching at a table just like this on a Friday night, just like this. Hopefully we're not going to have an earthquake. But I, I had a cup on, on, on my table drinking water from, and all of a sudden the, the, the water in the cup started shaking. And I was like, 
that's weird. You know, maybe a vehicle is driving by that's really heavy, that's kind of shaking the area. That would happen sometimes, but all of a sudden then the windows started rattling and you could feel everything moving and it was clear to all of us sitting in that room like, this is an earthquake. And in that moment, when an earthquake starts, you don't know what to expect, right? Like, there's the possibility that this earthquake gets really, really bad and it ends very poorly for everyone involved. Or there's a possibility that the earthquake just shakes a tiny bit, is over, and nothing, and no one is damaged except our, our blood pressure goes up slightly, um, but no other damage. Thankfully, in this situation, it was, it was somewhere in between. The earthquake continued for a little while, but there was no big damage. All of us um, survived. And there was something unique, though, about like as we're starting this earthquake, the room just falls silent, and we're like, we have no control, right? Like, we could do all we can to, like, try to stop the earthquake, but literally as a human being, like, I can't stop the earth from moving, right? So you wait, and you trust God. You must be in control because I'm... At the end of that, the, the phrase that came out of my mouth was, I'm glad that's done, right? Like, I'm glad that is over. And... Earthquakes have that strong ability to remind us, like, we're not in control. We could do everything possible, but we can't stop the earthquake. We're not in control. But today, as we look at the cups, the phrases, and these earthquakes, we see God is in control. God is strong. He is powerful over all of these things. And, and we have to then respond to his power, respond to his control. Are we going to respond with faith or with rejection? So I want to show you first how the, the cup shows us that Jesus' death is the only way to God. That's what we're going to see from the cup. Revelation chapter 16, what we just read, it's, it's highlighting the reality that sin always brings God's judgment. right? And if you've read through this whole chapter, you, you see that the wrath of God is poured out on sin on sinners in multiple ways. There's, there's sores that come upon the people. The sea is, is turned to blood. The sun scorches. It's, it's a really scary scene, but as we see these judgments poured out, we also see that the people on whom they're happening, they refuse to turn to God. They continue to reject him, and ultimately they're choosing their sin. Even though they see my sin is, is bringing this destruction, they still say, I'm still going to choose my sin and reject the one who's offering me life. And then verse 19 says, the great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. So Babylon, this great, is, is this representation of, of the, the systems of the world. Throughout Revelation, we see this, and it's, it's the pursuit of power, of prestige, of comfort, of, of ease, of, of sin and immorality. And now God is giving that system, that city, Babylon the great, the cup of his wrath, and he's saying, here, you give it to the people who are trusting in you. This cup shows us that God's wrath for sin, it has to be poured out. Something has to be done about our sin. Because if there's no wrath for sin, then, then who is God? How is God just? And it's a warning. 
right? Babylon the Great, this system of the world, this, this thing that looks so strong and so beautiful and so worthy of our trust and of our affection, it turns on the people who trust in it and it ends up destroying the very people who tried to find life in it. And before we look at that evil of the world and the, the destruction and, and celebrate because they finally get what they deserve, we have to acknowledge it's what we deserve too. I'll speak for myself. I have pursued the pleasures of sin. I have pursued the deceitfulness of riches, the, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life, and because of that, I deserve this wrath for myself. I deserve that this cup would be poured out on me. But thanks to God, because of Jesus, I don't have to experience this cup of God's wrath, and neither do you, because there's a second cup. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he, he was at the Mount of Olives, as was his custom, and he was, he was praying to God the Father. Jesus knew what, what was awaiting him. He knew what was coming for him. He knew that the cross was just hours in front of him. He knew why he was going to die. He was about to take this wrath of God that we just read about upon himself. He had done nothing wrong, ever. He had never sinned, never disobeyed God, and yet he was about to drink this cup of God's wrath. Why? Because of my sin, because of your sin, because of our sin. And in Luke 22 and verse 42, Jesus prays this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what was in this cup. He knew that in his humanity, he did not want to experience this cup of God's wrath. His, his whole life had been lived in this perfect, deep communion with God, and he knew that in just a few hours, that communion with God, it was gonna take a different form. It was gonna be God's wrath that he was going to experience. And remarkably, as, as Jesus asks the Father, he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. The Father does not remove it. Jesus continues towards the cross, and as he is nailed to that cross, it is obvious there is no other way to God. See, if there was any other way to God, if there was any other option, then God would have taken the cup away. Anything that would not have involved the death of the perfect son of God, then Jesus would not have had to die. He would have prayed that that cup would be taken and he would have walked off the Mount of Olives as a free living man. But the fact that Jesus went to the cross, it shows us without a doubt there is no other way. There's no other option. For humanity to enter into relationship with God, for our sins to be forgiven, the wrath of God for sin has to be poured out. And on the cross, the cup of God's wrath is poured out on Jesus for our sins so that we could live with him. And this truth, this, this picture, it shows us and it reminds us of the seriousness of our sin. Right? The fact that Jesus had to die on the cross shows us how incredibly costly our sin is. It's not something that we just laugh about and, and move on from when we sin. No, sin is costly, so costly 
that the perfect Son of God had to die for it. But the cross also reminds us of the incredible, unmatched love of Jesus. He could have easily taken things into his own hands and said, I don't care about them. I'm going I'm to do what's, what feels best for me right now. I'm going to walk away from the cross. They can maybe try to figure it out. But he didn't. He went willingly. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He did it because he knew that his death would result in our life. At the cross, we see that our sin is incredibly costly, and we see that our Savior is incredibly loving. The cup shows us that Jesus' death is the only way to God, but now I want to show you that the phrase shows us that Jesus' death accomplished its purpose. It did what it set out to do. So after the, the judgment of the six bowls is poured out in Revelation 16 and the people refuse to repent, refuse to turn to God, a seventh bowl is poured into the air. And listen to verse 17. It says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. For those who who are sitting under the wrath of God, who are experiencing his wrath in this moment, the phrase, it is done, is not a comforting phrase for them. It's a troubling phrase because what, after, what comes after it is, is complete and total destruction. And as I was thinking about um, this, I was thinking about standardized tests in school. I don't know if you remember taking them or if you've ever taken them, but um, many of them are timed, right? And so the timer starts, and you start um, answering the questions. And then eventually the teacher gives a warning, right? Like five minutes left, um, and in that moment, if you've got more than five minutes left of questions um, to answer, you start filling in bubbles, right? Because you know that filling in bubbles is better than empty bubbles because you at least have a chance of getting the question right. And, and the, the time's going, and then all of a sudden you hear the teacher say, time's up. And you're like, okay, it's done. And after it's done, you know that you've done all that you can, but now the grading is going to begin. You're going to get your grade back for that test, and you might be thrilled, and you might be not thrilled. But you know that, that feeling, right? That pressure, and then the, okay, it's done, and now I'm going to see what the damage is. And, and that's basically what we're seeing those, those people who are hearing the angel's declaration of it is done, it's as if the angel's saying, time's up. Like, you've had your chance. You've, you've had the opportunity to turn to God and you've rejected him, so time's up. It's judgment time. And what comes earthquake, the destruction of cities and nations, the, the systems of the world are destroyed. There's this massive hailstorm that brings destruction. And we see all of this is coming because of humanity's sin. But again, we don't have to sit under that destruction. We don't need to hear of the impending doom that's, that's coming with the angel's declaration of it is done because Jesus said very similar words on the cross before he breathed his last. What did he say? It is finished. See, John gives a powerful picture of Jesus' final moments on this earth, on the cross, in his gospel account. 
accomplished. He did all he needed to do. John 19, starting in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so he put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus had completed his work. He had paid the price for the sin of the world. He had taken the full wrath of God upon himself so that all who trust in him would never have to experience it. And his final words are, it is finished. It is done. And in contrast to the the fear and the doom that come after the angel says, it is done, this declaration of Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished, this is a cry of victory. It's a declaration of life. A declaration, their sin has been paid for, it's been covered, their shame has been replaced with honor, and their guilt has been replaced with forgiveness. Jesus' declaration of it is finished changes everything for us. When we're striving, we're trying to earn God's favor by our good works, Jesus looks to the cross and says, it's finished. When we're living in shame for sins that we committed that we're still trying to to pay for on our own, Jesus looks to the cross and says, it's When we're wondering, like, are we doing enough to make God pleased with us, Jesus points to the cross and says, it's finished, I'm pleased. When we're stuck in sin, when we feel no way out, when we feel trapped in sin, Jesus points to the cross and says, it is finished, I've done it. See, Jesus went to the cross to take the wrath of God that our sins deserve upon himself so that we could live in freedom of true relationship with him. And the phrase shows us that Jesus' death accomplished its purpose. Finally, look at now how the earthquake shows us that Jesus' death opens the door for all who believe. After the angel's death, Verse 18 says there was flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And as we've already seen as we looked at the cup and as we looked at the phrase this earthquake is coming because of the sin of mankind. And the people who had survived the previous plagues are now again under under judgment as this earthquake comes and destroys cities and systems are brought to their demise and people again are brought to their knees and they still reject God. They refuse to turn to him. They curse him. Even though they see the the power of the city laying in ruins, even though they see the, the systems of the world that had promised luxury and happiness and life destroyed, they refuse to turn to God. And it, it puts this, this hunger in us, like where's the hope? Where, where is the life that comes from this? And to answer that question, we have to think back to another earthquake. Again, as Jesus is there on the cross, as he's breathing his final breaths, something remarkable happens. It's Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, behold, 
the curtain of the temple was torn in top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Imagine that moment. Jesus is, is on the cross. He's breathing his final breaths, and the earth begins to shake. And then over in Jerusalem, the curtain of the temple tears from top to bottom. The first earthquake that we looked at brought destruction, but this earthquake brings restoration. See, the curtain that was hung in the temple was a curtain that, that separated the most holy place of God from everything else. God's presence something that, that was only accessible at certain times and by certain people, and it was so holy and so, so powerful, so strong that if someone tried to go through the curtain without making the proper sacrifices, without going through the proper steps, they would drop dead and they would be dragged out because no one could go in and get their bodies because they would also die. So it was a big deal, right? God's presence, holy, separate. But when Jesus breathes his last, when the earth quakes, this curtain is torn. It's torn from top to bottom. It's, it's God from heaven saying, showing Jesus' death on the cross has opened the door for God's presence to now be with anyone who would trust in him. Now, humanity can interact personally, intimately with God. His presence that was once exclusive and completely only for certain people at certain times has now been made available to all who will trust in Jesus. It's the work that God did. Abigail and I once had the opportunity to visit the West Wing of, of the White House in Washington, D.C., and the West Wing is where the Oval Office, the Cabinet Office, the Situation Room, like all of the, the cool um, big parts of the White House are. And, and as we approached the outside door of that building, we felt so important. Like, we're going into the West Wing. We're so cool. And then they would open the door, and we, we walked in, and we're like, oh, we're standing where the presidents and the generals and all these world leaders have stood. And we felt really special, right? Like, really important. We're not, but we felt that way in that moment, and as I was thinking about that and like the, 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 the cool feeling when you experience something like that, it was special and it marks you and it sticks with you, but like that cannot compare to the glory of walking into the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, we don't just stand where some political leaders who are sometimes great and sometimes not great and sometimes in between stood we're standing with the god of the universe who is perfect always great right in the presence of god we're finding true life we're finding true hope we're finding a god who makes promises and keeps promises 100 percent of the time and in the presence of god we stand in a place where fear has to leave where shame has to get replaced with honor where guilt has to get replaced with Freedom. It's the presence of God. And that door is open to you and to me today. It's open because of Jesus' blood. It's open because God split it as Jesus breathed his last on that cross. And so you and I have a decision to make. Will we walk through that door? That's all we have to do. 
All we have to do as humans to experience and enter into this eternal life with Jesus, this relationship with God that we were created for is to walk through it by faith. See, every other world religion tells us we have to to climb the ladder, we have to climb the curtain from the bottom to the top, and maybe someday, if we're good enough, we can get to God. But when Jesus breathed his last, when the earth quaked, when the veil was torn from top to bottom, God showed his plan was different. He knew humanity is never going to be able to climb up to me, so I'm going to come to them. I'm going to do the work. He saw us trying to climb the veil and, and failing time and time again, and he came and tore it in two so that we could simply experience his presence. That's called grace. See, the cup shows us that Jesus' death is the only way to God. The phrase shows us that Jesus' death accomplished its purpose, and the earthquake shows us that Jesus' death opens the door for all who believe. So how do we respond? First, we acknowledge and we remember why Jesus had to die. Right? Jesus had to die because of our sins. The wrath of God had to be poured out on sin And Jesus Jesus willingly took that wrath upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. And so in response to that, we continue to, to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus with our faith in him. Because we understand that there's no other way to God. The message of Jesus calls us to respond with with deep humility, right? We have to to acknowledge that our sin was so bad. We are so sinful, so deserving of God's wrath that Jesus had to die for us. And then we respond with deep gratitude, acknowledging that we are so loved, so wanted, so chosen by God that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. And second... These truths, they move us to action, right? If you and I truly believe that Jesus' death is the only way to God and that Jesus' death accomplished its purpose and that Jesus' death opens the door to God's presence for all who believe, then we need to continue to get this message out. We need to continue to, to multiply diverse disciples and churches unified by the gospel of Jesus, which is our mission here. We need to continue to do that because the good news of Jesus is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And family, we we believe in Jesus. We've heard the good news of Jesus. We've placed our faith in Jesus and we've said yes to joining him in his mission here on this earth. And we live in a city that is in deep need of Jesus. We find ourselves in offices, restaurants, schools, Homes, cars filled with people who need Jesus. And our God has us in these places on purpose for a reason. Because he wants to use our lives, our words, our love to draw people to himself. So be encouraged. As a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God living in you. It's not behind a veil. His spirit is now living in you, active and alive through you. You have an eternal relationship with God because of Jesus, and you have a message to share. It's a message of good news that has changed your life, that has changed the lives of so many in this room and your families, and it's a message of good news that's ready to change the lives of any 
who would hear and believe. It's the message of Jesus, of his life, of his death, and of his resurrection, which we just so get to happen to celebrate on Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this reality that, that our sin separated us from you, and you came, Jesus, to, to bridge the gap. We could not get to you, but you came to us. So Jesus, thank you for taking the cup of the wrath of God. Thank you for declaring it is finished, for, for doing the work and for opening the door of your presence to us. Lord, how grateful we are, how thankful we are. And God, I just pray that, that as we continue in this night, that you would remind us of your great love. God, help us see this, the cost of our sin in the beauty of your grace. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. In Jesus' name I pray.